Well, good morning. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And as we're going there, I would like to recognize the daughters of Mr. Junior Hodges, who was baptized this morning. We're so glad uh, that y'all came to, to worship with us together today. And you have an awesome dad. And I know that uh, you know that. And I've also heard that he requested and uh, sequestered you guys back when you were kids to help work on the house and build a house. So if you need some construction work, you can go to these ladies. They can definitely help you out with that. And let me say also another word about the weather. You guys are proving the Baptist model wrong. Anybody know what the Baptist model is? If it's raining, let me pray. Lord, do you want me to stay home if it keeps raining? It's still raining. I'm still home. So thank you guys for breaking out of that mold, being here this morning. We're going to have a good time. What we're going to do today, let me, let me just give a little introduction here. Um, you have in your uh, bulletin or worship guide, basically a sentence outline of our message today on slavery and freedom. Now, as you notice, we are not in a time warp. In fact, we are not going back in time to February 6th. We are still in the month of March, so that is a typo. We apologize for that. But if you want the full uh, manuscript of this, we've got about 15 pages that uh, Matt uploaded to the website. This is fully documented, and the reason why we wanted to, to make the, 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 the big uh, paper available to you guys for the research is because when we as 21st century Americans uh, read about slaves and freedom, th- there are two things that happen. Number one, we cannot really identify with either one. Unless you're a kid and you say that my mom and dad treat me like a slave, all right? Secondly, when we hear the word slavery, we automatically think of American slavery to where the black people are the slaves and the white people are the masters. So in order for us to not misunderstand and so in order for us not to uh, not to say this has no application to me whatsoever, we're going to take a little trip here for a few moments and kind of go back in time and look at how people have treated other people. And then when we come to the end of this message, we're going to make some application to our jobs today. Now, let me just get a A show of hands, if you have ever worked on a job with someone that was not a person you would choose to spend time with outside of the job. If you've ever, hands are already shooting up, all right? Evangelist, I see that hand, okay? We've probably always been there, right church? We're working with somebody and they are just weird, I remember when I was a college student, and this was when the tire... Anybody remember the Firestone tires when they were blowing out on the SUVs? And I, somebody had that happen, all right, <laughs> Mr. Junior? And, and, and I, was, I was in a job to where we were this call center. It was not telemarketing, but people who had those tires would call us. We would tell them how they could get their tires replaced and where. And there was this one guy who honestly freaked me out. He was about a six-foot-five blonde hippie dude with really long hair, but that was not not the problem, all right? I've got friends with long hair, not, not a big deal. But this was what weirded me out. He had pictures on his little cubicle of him and then kind of like this little ball of, of fire. And he's like, 
And he would come in every day, and, he, and he's this big blonde guy, and he would, he would hold his hands like this and bow and go, peace. And he would just look at you for like 20 seconds and not really blink, and it always freaked me out. He would talk about how that was his spirit guide, and I'm like, bro, that's not a spirit guide. That's what's happened when you have a mirror behind you and your photographer takes the picture, it bounces off the mirror. He was just a total weirdo. I, I've worked um, in lawn care before. I, I cut grass all the way from middle school until I graduated uh, college. Me and my brother had a lawn business. And it was amazing to me that some people, uh, we cut grass in, in a trailer park where snowbirds uh, would come down and, and they, would, they would come to Florida during the winters and, and they would go back up uh, north for the summers. And sometimes we would cut the grass and people would be like, this happened to my brother, and I wasn't at this job, but the person that came out and said, you know, I don't, I don't think you really cut the grass. Grass was cut! I mean, it's still smelling like, you know, fumes! And he's like, uh, sir, we, we cut the grass. Well, I don't, I don't think you did. I'm not going to pay you. And my brother's like, sir, you're going to pay me? I mean, he's just a little bit more aggressive than I am. This, this is a, a person that they said, you know what? You, I don't think you did a good job. He said, sir, are you willing to jip? A teenager out of the few bucks, being as old as you are, and it's kind of like, Josh, that's probably not the best way to do your, you know, effective negotiating. You know, and people just, I mean, sometimes they want to rip you off, and, and the thought goes through your mind. If you're, if you're a lawn person, it's like, all right, you don't have to pay me. But if, if my roundup happens to slip out, you know, of my trailer and go all over your lawn, I don't know what happened. And, and you've got all these work-related stresses. Can anybody identify? You're there at your work. You say, Lord, I've struggled with many things in my past, but the tendency to commit murder has not been one until now. Let me stop right here and address what we have on the stage. Now, for those of you who are listening to us on podcast or on the internet, we've got a, a full set of Roman soldier armor. We've got the Greek uh, armor over here. And um, we've got the, the Roman type of short sword, which is double-bladed. And then we have the Greek model. Uh, for those of you who, who have watched 300, this is the replica sword for that. And then we have over here uh, another shield. And on the bottom we have kind of the Greek model of the round shield. And then we have the Greek Corinthian helmet. In fact, um, you can look this up online. The Corinthian helmet, there's actually two books in the Bible called First and Second Corinthians. It was a Greek area and there were many incredible warriors who came there in the past. And you should have gotten one of these in your bulletin and worship guide. You can go ahead and pull it out. Give you guys a little, um, little introduction for what we're going to do for the next nine weeks. We um, have these weapons and things up on stage. Now, I know some of you kids may be nervous. You're like, Jeff, you preached last week that I should honor my father and my mother. And the next week we have weapons all on the stage. What in the world does this mean? We're going to begin to walk through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and we're going to next week address the warrior's enemy. We're going to talk next week here on Sunday morning about Satan. Is Satan a mythological character? Is Satan a real being? If Satan is real, then what do we do about him? Are Satan and Jesus, are they in some type of cosmic boxing match? How do I understand what the Bible has to say about Satan and also demons. Now, um, we're also going to look at some stories from the Bible and actually from modern times that make the hair stand up on most of our arms. It's going to be awesome. Then we're going to walk through every single piece of armor 
And for example, why Paul chose to use the double-bladed sword instead of the single-bladed sword. And uh, we're going to walk all the way through that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, let me just give some, give some credit here. Uh, Jack Strickler uh, built all of the sets for this. Okay, I had, I had nothing to do with any of the sets. So, Mr. Jack, we appreciate you. Let's just, let's just hear it for his service. The Lord, this looks awesome. And uh, he did all of that. If I had anything to do with building that, we would have armor falling out in the crowd and mass fatalities. It would be a disaster. So thank you, Brother Jack, for doing that. So speaking of jobs and speaking of slavery and freedom, here is our main idea for this morning. True freedom and equality is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, Slaves... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. If we could take the time to go back to the book of Genesis, and we would know that sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, right? Adam was passive. Eve was not under authority. He didn't protect his wife. And sin came into the world. And then they had two sons, Cain and... Anybody know Cain's brother? And Good. And Abel, right? They came and they sacrificed before the Lord. Cain did his in an act of self-righteousness where Abel sacrificed in faith for who God is. Here's what God said. Cain, I reject your sacrifice and I accept Abel's sacrifice. So Cain began to get really angry and jealous of his brother. The Bible says that he led his brother Abel into a field. And we don't know how Cain killed Abel. But can you imagine being so hate-filled at your own brother? your own flesh and blood, that you take him into a field as if to... We don't know if he was going to talk to him about something or say, hey, I want to come show you my animals or I want to go show you this crop. But he brought Abel there. Two brothers went to the field. One walked away. Then God came to Cain and He said, your brother Abel's blood cries out from the ground. The very beginning, it seems that people begin to mistreat each other, doesn't it? The the earliest civilization that we have on record is the civilization of Sumeria. And in Sumerian culture, this is by a professor at Harvard University, Orlando Patterson, said slaves were considered in Sumerian culture socially dead which is kind of like a stray dog. If the stray dog dies, they take the body and they do something with it, but there's not really any type of funeral. Then you could look at Egyptian slavery. There was a law in Egypt called Corvi, 
in which all of the subjects, every single Egyptian, was considered to be the property of Pharaoh. And we know from the Bible that the Egyptians later enslaved all of the Hebrew people. And then, beginning there in your notes, we have a man named Hammurabi. All right? And he wrote this code in 1700 B.C. It was called the Code of Hammurabi. And if you want to go download uh, the PDF, the, the manuscript for this message, we have many of the, the laws that Hammurabi gave. And here is a, a synthesis. Here's a summary of this code. It basically said that possessions are more valuable than people. And the only way that you as a person are worth something is if you are considered to be a free person and you have property. So that meant that people are not created in the image of God. That people are, as our Constitution says in, with the Declaration of Independence, that we are not endowed with inalienable rights by our Creator. This was simply a man-centered law. In fact, uh, Law 282, the Code of Hammurabi says, If a slave says, has said to his master, You are not my master, he shall be brought to account as his slave, and his master, check this out, shall cut off his ear. little brutal, huh? Then you come to Mosaic Law. The Exodus, we know, was in 1446 B.C. And there's something embedded within the Mosaic Law that students, when you go away to college, unless you go to an honest, open, free-thinking Christian school, your professors, I don't know, I don't, I'm not a betting person. I don't play the lottery. But if I did, I would bet you my bank account that your professor will never mention in Western Civ something called in Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. And here's what it was. Every 50 years, even if you had fallen on bad times, lost your job, <clears throat> wrecked your chariot, no insurance, and you actually had to sell yourself as a slave to work off your debt, every 50 years, God said that all debts are to be canceled and all slaves are to be freed. This was kind of unlocking what Jesus would later come to do in saying that I have come to free the captives. I have come to set people free. God was trying to teach them and this is in verse 10 of Leviticus 25, that in the year of Jubilee, they're supposed to proclaim liberty, proclaim, shout, and scream freedom throughout all the land and for all of the people. Wow! Even in the Old Testament, God was trying to teach the people that freedom is what we should want. But then there's an objection. Somebody says, now Jeff, in Leviticus chapter 25, it says that fellow Israelites are to be freed. Does that mean that the people of God could enslave other peoples? Here's what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, God had to eliminate slavery, check this out, in Israel before He could deal with it in the Gentile or the non-Jewish nations. End of quote. So what God was doing here is basically saying that if you are my child, I want you to act like my child. Remember growing up, um, my brother Jordan, uh, one time, I don't know, just sometimes little kids do weird things, don't they? 
you know, you're like, what, what are you doing? Well, he just, he just didn't want to use his, his utensils, his, his spoon and his fork. So he just kind of got his hands. Have you ever seen this? A kid, right? He's like five and six, and he just wanted to go old school. He just wanted to go barbarian. So he begins to, to get his hands and shovel food into his mouth. And my dad said, he was kind of joking. He's like, Jordan, what are you doing? You're eating like a heathen. And he didn't, Jordan didn't know what a heathen was. So he's like five, six years old. He starts crying. I don't want to be a heathen. He didn't even know what it was. Thought it was like a monster or something. So well, the, the point here is that God's trying to say, you know what? Israelites, if you're my people, I want you to, please hear this, to treat each other in the act and the spirit of love so that you can treat others in the spirit of love. Now, why does God give us difficult people to live with in our families? Hello. Why is it sometimes that we feel it's so difficult to, to seemingly get along with the people, like our brothers and our sisters and our mom and our dads and our crazy aunts? Anybody have a crazy aunt? All right, you know, that she just shows up and you're like, all right, time for me to leave. You know, you just got like this extended family. Like, God, why is it so easy to get along with people who I'm not related to, but the people I'm related to drive me nuts? Please hear this. The reason why God has given us our families is if, now, now, now tell me this is not true. If we can learn to live in love with our families, wouldn't it also follow that we can show love to other people as well? So that's what's going on in the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law is not endorsing slavery, but rather it's trying to teach the Israelite people through the year of Jubilee that freedom is what should be pursued. And if we can treat each other in the spirit of freedom and love, that will extend outward. But we cannot reach the Gentile nations if we do not love each other first. And then there's a man named Plato. And no, that's not what you played with back when you were in kindergarten. This was a Greek philosopher. Some of you will get that later. Do y'all get it, Plato? All right, cool. All right, Plato, uh, he lives from... <laughs> 1428, uh, 428 or 429 B.C. into 347 B.C., he basically said this. this. This was his thinking on slavery. He was like the Mac Daddy, the smartest Greek man of his time. He said, might makes right. Here's what that means. If we go to war, and I, me and my soldiers can overcome you and your soldiers... Like, we, we, we've got you guys, we beat you, we took all your swords and your weapons away, then that means that we should enslave you because we are stronger than you are. Hence, might makes right. Plato said that Greeks shouldn't enslave fellow Greeks, but people who are not Greek, they're barbarians, you know? Those are the people who are not educated, those are the people who are not cultured, that we should, speaking from a Greek mindset, enslaved those people. And then Aristotle was the student of Plato. So Aristotle came along and he says, you know what? That's a little bit too hardcore, Plato. I still want to have slavery. But here's how Aristotle explained it. He said, you know, there's certain people in life and they're just incapable of freedom. They're incapable of responsibility. Now, can we say that Aristotle may have had a point? 
If you've ever had teenagers, sometimes they may be incapable of responsibility. But does that mean that that gives the person who may be responsible the right to enslave them? Absolutely not. But Aristotle said, well, because I think there are certain people who can't take care of themselves, therefore the smart, quote-unquote, people should make them slaves. Well, Aristotle had a student, and that student's name was Alexander. Alexander the... Anybody want to fill that last one in? The great, exactly right. And Alexander actually took the philosophy of Aristotle, and when Alexander conquered the whole known world, check this out, by the age of 30... (laughs) By the age of 30, he had conquered the whole known world. I mean, there's some guys, by 30, they haven't even beaten Mario Brothers yet. I mean, this guy was an incredible warrior. So he he conquered all these nations, and guess what he did? He made them slaves because he had been taught by Aristotle how to do it. In fact, there's a, I've never read a poem. I don't like to do that very often. But there's a poem about Jesus and Alexander. I'm going to give to you a few verses. It says, Jesus and Alexander died at 33. The Greek made all men slaves. The Jew made all men free. One built a throne on blood. The other built on love. The one was born of earth and the other from above. One who won all this earth to lose all earth and heaven. The other gave up all, that all to him be given. The Greek forever died, the Jew forever lives. He loses all who get, and gains all things who gives. Wow, what a picture of the Gospel. That through pagan philosophy, men and women were taught how to enslave one another. But Jesus came into the world, next in your notes, into the Roman Empire. When you read history books, you find that the Roman Empire was more dependent upon slaves than American society is upon oil. It needed slaves to operate. In fact, here's what history says about ladies' female slaves. It says, "...the female slave can lay no claim to chastity or shame." which have no meaning. In the official view, she cannot have sensitivity toward chastity. Now, chastity means waiting to have sex until you're married with your husband. Then it says, her honor cannot be violated because it does not exist. And finally, and I quote, no legal recognition is granted to the sexual privacy of female slaves. The Roman Empire viewed people as property. In fact, uh, Orlando Patterson also said, the, the man who teaches sociology at Harvard, that Christianity is the only religion which made being free central to its creed. So here's what happened. When Christianity came onto the Roman scene, you had at least one third of all of the people in the Roman Empire who had been slaves or were slaves. Now imagine that. You, you, you had been there in your village, probably a farmer. One day the Roman legions show up. The men of your town grab the few iron tools that they have. Most of them die in the battle. And you and the rest of your town is gathered up and marched sometimes hundreds of miles to the slave markets in Rome. 
You are ripped from your family. You are ripped from your land. You are torn away from everything you've ever known to be sold, and especially if you are young, oftentimes to be abused. And we all know what that means. There's a story um, about the gladiators. And in fact, the gladiators were the lowest of the slaves. They would be put into a pit to fight a wild animal or to fight another wild person. And there was a, a Christian leader named Telemachus. And he felt that God was leading him to go to Rome. So he goes to Rome and he comes to the Colosseum. And he had never been there before. And he comes to the Colosseum and he begins to look. He sits down in his seat and he, he sees people killing each other. Well, what would, you, what would you think if you were there and you heard the screams, you smelled the sweat, the dust clung to your clothes, you saw the blood drench into the sand, and the Spirit of God just came upon this Christian leader named Telemachus, and this is an old man, he jumps into the Colosseum, and he runs to gladiator, to gladiator, to gladiator. And he keeps saying, he says, forbear, which means stop. In the name of Christ, forbear, forbear, stop, stop. And history records that Telemachus was killed by the crowd because he was interrupting their entertainment. And not long after that, the Roman emperor Honorius banned the gladiatorial games because of one man who was willing to stand up for people who were forced to die as slave gladiators. Then we have British slavery on the British Isles. We read about Patrick of Ireland, right? St. Patrick's Day. Okay? Usually on St. Patrick's Day, there's usually four times as many Irish as there normally are. But St. Patrick's Day, people celebrate Patrick of Ireland. He was a young boy growing up, and he was captured by slave raiders. They would go to village town and village port, and they would come and they would burn, and they would capture these young children and sell them into slavery. Patrick got saved. He ended up going back to his old master and the country of Ireland became largely believers in Christ because of Patrick. Then we go to Islamic slavery. In fact, uh, there are many verses from the Quran that we're not going to take the time to read. But in fact, Islam supports slavery. Muhammad actually owned slaves. Now, it'd be kind of hard if you're a Muslim who says that we should follow Muhammad because Muhammad tells us how to follow Allah. If Muhammad has slaves... It'd be kind of hard for a Muslim to say that we shouldn't have slaves. You follow that? He was a slave owner and Jesus said, I have came to set the captives free. In fact, um, Muhammad said, uh, and this is all, all documented in the notes online. You can check it out. If you don't have a computer, or you're not a computer person, we can make you a copy here at the office. Muhammad said, know that paradise is under the shade of swords. Jesus said, all who live by the sword perish by the sword. Muhammad said in Surah 47, verses 3 and 4, when you meet the infidels, meaning us, strike off their heads until you have made a great slaughter among them. And of the rest, make fast the fetters, which means chain them so that they can be sold as slaves. 
Whereas Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And through Islamic slavery, they begin to go into Africa and they begin to capture black people and sell them on the slave markets. Well, the Europeans showed up and they said, you know what? You Muslims have a pretty good idea. So the Portuguese began to take slaves to the Americas. And we know that American slavery lasted from around 1619 until 1865. And this was probably one of the most brutal type of slave um, countries that we could ever imagine because the color of your skin determined whether you could be free or not. Let me just say something very politically incorrect right now. Let me talk for a moment about black crime statistics. No matter which study you read, African Americans, especially males, have a higher, especially violent crime statistic than do all of the other ethnicities. This is a fact. Here's what has happened in American culture with African Americans, black people, especially in the South. Let's go old school. Back in the day, in the South, if a black person got saved, could they, in most situations, join a white church? What? No. All right. Good. We got our history correct. There were black evangelists. One was named John Jasper. You should go look him up. He's an incredible revivalist. They were excluded from the churches. So what do you normally hear about in church? The Gospel. They were excluded from church. They were excluded from the Gospel. They were also excluded from Bible colleges. Several years ago, they had a, a black man come to preach at the seminary I graduated from, and he was close to 100 years old. And he says, I eat stuff out of my garden every day, and I don't have an ache or a pain in my body. I said, well, man, I'm 30. I, I'm doing really bad compared to him. But back in the day, a Baptist seminary would not let him take regular classes but he had to take night classes in a small, obscure room. He took the same classes, but instead of earning a diploma, earning a degree, he was given basically a small sheet of paper like if we had passed a Sunday school curriculum course. That's Baptist history. A part of it. So they were, please track with me on this. They were systematically excluded from church. They were deprived of the gospel. They were deprived, their preachers were deprived from going to seminary or Bible college to where you learn about the gospel. And the rest of society expects them to act as enlightened peoples. That is the height of hypocrisy. Amen? I interned at a very large church in, in Pensacola. They had 10,000 members in the church. pastor was a good old boy from Alabama who had grown up a racist. 
And he told an incredible story about how God freed him from that. Then when they needed a music minister several years ago, long story short, he approached Dr. Leo Day, who's a professor at New Orleans Seminary of Music. Guess what his ethnicity was? The black man. Pensacola, Florida. That's not really Florida. It's really L.A., Lower Alabama. Got that? All right. Mostly redneck. They had a deacon's meeting. One deacon said, are you sure we're ready for this? And to which a brave deacon, I know him by name, I know him personally, he's a man of God, said to this other deacon, he said, well, if you're referring to Leo's skin color, There's the door, but just don't let it hit you on the butt on your way out. I just want to let you know, you've never seen a community respond to a local church like you have seen Pensacola, Florida, respond to Olive Baptist Church. The church was not trying to make a political statement, but they were trying to make a statement that if God qualifies a man, that if God saves a man, we will accept that man regardless of his skin color. Amen? And then we have something called modern slavery. Sex slavery. Dr. Joe, who was here several weeks ago, to tell you about Brazil, said that he was in Brazil one time and, and there, was, uh, so there were some children who had been sold into sex slavery. They, there would be planes uh, mostly filled with Europeans and Americans who would come in to a coastal city. These men, if we could call them that, would terribly abuse these children and then fly back. He said, I approached this one little girl and I had a gift in my hand and I leaned down to give her this gift. But he said, when she saw me, she shrieked in terror and hid herself behind the worker. Because what she probably concluded was old and white. Therefore, he's here to do me harm. There's sex trafficking going on all over the world today. In fact, the country of Thailand is number one. My brother's there right now. This is where men from the West will fly in, unleash their lust upon children. We have the the websites there in in our bulletin. Love146.com, the leader of that organization said that several years him and some investigators went to Southeast Asia to try to see how they could help and they actually posed as customers so they went into this small room and little girls behind a glass wall were paraded in little red dresses in front of them and the little girls were put in front of these these scratchy type of cheap TVs to watch children's programming And he said, as I looked at them, it was almost like all of the life had been drained out of these little girls. They were looking as they were zombies, as if they had no souls at these cheap little televisions. But he said there was this one girl who looked not at the television, but looked at all of the males there. And he said her eyes still had fight, they still had fire, and she was probably new there. And then he says, love defends, love protects, we are love 146. And I pray that God raises us up to stop child 
trafficking. Amen, church? It is an offense to God. It is an abomination. And I'll let you know that one day the justice and the wrath of God will come. And God sees every tear. And God will make everything right. I encourage you to go to the website. We have a two-page write-up from one of my friends who actually works. She worked for two years as a missionary with Thai prostitutes in Thailand. And she has a list of several type of creepy characters who come around and they basically prey upon these women who have nothing. May God give us wisdom. May God help us raise money. May God help us to go to free those who are in bondage. Because Jesus made us free so that we could bring freedom to others. Amen, church? We cannot turn a deaf ear. We cannot look away. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24 to hold back those who are stumbling, stumbling towards slaughter. May the grace of God so break our hearts that we will stop focusing, focusing on, on all, simply our, uh, our, our things that we do and our hobbies and our, our fun times that realize that there are children who are in bondage. But Jesus gave us the gospel so that we can lean on whoever we can lean on, try to influence legislation, try to go, try to bring freedom to these kids. So very quickly, here's our application. Now, honestly, after all that, doesn't doesn't some of the things that we deal with on our jobs seem a little bit inconsequential? What do you think? We're not trying to say that we have no problems. And please don't get into the, to, to, to the mindset of saying, well, they've got bigger problems, so therefore I have no problems. May it be that God would help us to see that our jobs are opportunities to serve Him. Very quickly, here's there on your outline. Number one, the application for the worker. Your boss is not really your boss. God is. God is your boss. That means that when we do, as it says there in verse number five, with fear and trembling, this same phrase is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, when the Apostle Paul says, I have come to you in much fear and trembling. Now, why would the Bible use, why would the Bible use the same description for slaves obeying their masters as it does for Paul preaching the gospel. Here it is. Our response to doing tasks and jobs that are not fun can actually make the difference between a person receiving Jesus and rejecting Jesus. It is our response through the power of the Holy Spirit that will allow us to be a witness. Now notice what it says also there. Not in the way of, verse 6, eye service. Now this is not saying that you should never be an optometrist. This is not saying that you should never be um, any person in that field. Which you guys know what happened to the optometrist who fell into a grinder? He made a spectacle of himself. So your, op- your occupation can bring glory. Did y'all, y'all okay? Did you get that? Alright, as a joke. Somebody's like, I don't know. What, what, what just happened? Secondly, your occupation can bring glory to God. If people can look at you at work and say, this person doesn't cut down the boss like the rest of the people do. This guy, this girl, really seems to work. You can bring glory to, your, to God through your job. And next, your suffering is seen by God. In verse 8, it says that 
knowing whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. That means that when you don't get the pay raise that you deserve, that means when your boss doesn't notice you for the promotion, that God does notice. Your God is impartial. Your God sees all injustice. This is all there on your notes. Your God is the boss of your boss. And so application for the boss. If you've got people working for you, here it is. Your leadership should reflect Jesus Christ. Notice it says there in verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Which means bosses, treat your employees with love. Treat them as you would want to be treated. Your boss is not yourself. Bosses, God is your ultimate boss. And your God is impartial. Notice what it says there at the last phrase of verse number 9. There is no partiality with Him. You ever said this before? I hate my job. Honestly, I hate my job. You know what? We live as free Americans and guess what you can do if you really hate your job? Do you have to keep working that job? Somebody sticking that gun to your head. Say, well, the credit card companies are. You know, my my landlord is. But but seriously, we can get another job. And I know jobs are hard to come by right now. But praise God, we live in a country to where the government, at least not yet, is pointing a gun at our head and saying, you have to do this. So praise God, we have freedom. Right, church? And in the context of difficult jobs, you have the opportunity to win people to Christ by showing that you will work as if God was the one who actually told you, do this. And oftentimes, you get promoted because the bosses see that people who are willing to work directly for God work really good in the business world. It said that um, the concentration camp, Auschwitz, when the inmates would, would walk in, they would see the phrase, and I'm trying to pronounce it correctly, Arbeit macht frei, which means work makes you free. But we know that from history that when they entered into that killing camp of Auschwitz, did work really make them free? It was just to get as much as the Nazis could before they gassed them. And often there's many people today and we've never experienced physical slavery. But we've experienced slavery to religion. We've experienced slavery to unforgiveness. And the lie from the devil is that if you do and do and do and do, it will make you free. But when you see the cross of Jesus Christ, it smashes those iron gates of that concentration camp and it screams out this message. My work, says Jesus, has made, amen church, my work has made you free. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level. For slave and for master, for boss and employee, we all come to Jesus accepting His grace by repenting of our sins and being born again. And it is through that that freedom and equality is found in the Gospel of Jesus Christ.